0: Hello? Mom?
1: Luke? What's up?
0: Well, I'm about to hop on a call with Aaron for this week's Uh episode of 30 Pop. And since, you know, he left you a message (laughs) last week, I just wanted to give you the opportunity (laughs) if you needed it to express anything you might need to before I get on a call with him.
1: What's it going to be? Ow, ow. What's it going to be about? (laughs) It's.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're going to be... Looking back on the life and legacy of Jim Henson, who died 30 years ago this
1: week. Oh, are you sure he's the appropriate one you should talk to about that?
0: I mean, I don't imagine there being lots of reason for him to be overly profane, but.
1: He needs to do this where his children can hear it. Because Jim Henson was important in our children's lives.
0: Would so, that be your whole message for him?
1: Well, tell him that I love him and that I'm praying for him.
0: Well, I don't know yet as of this recording if there will be any language in this episode, but it's Aaron, so there might be.
1: Well, when you start recording him, you just tell him there are angels among us.
0: I will make sure that that's the first thing I say to him.
1: Okay, tell him to feel me sitting right there on his right side on his little shoulder, and I'll help guide him.
0: Okay. Okay. I'll get the message to him.
1: All right. Love you.
0: Love you, too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. From U Media Group, this is Thirty Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from thirty years ago. I'm your host, Luke Bronner. This is season two, episode twenty. Probation violations, progress, and passing icons. Today, we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, May nineteenth, nineteen ninety. Hello, once again, dear friends and fellow 80s and 90s nostalgia aficionados. Welcome to another episode of 30 Pop. No time to waste today, as we've got lots to look back on from this week in 1990. Just for a change of pace, though, why don't we start with some headlines in a brand new segment that I'm calling Good News, Bad News. Each time I do this segment, I'll share two pieces of 30-year-old news. One not so great, but one really great to kind of balance it out. And so that we might end on an upbeat today, I'll lead off with the bad news. 30 years ago this week, Cheers cast member Kelsey Grammer famous for his role in eventual hit spinoff series as psychiatrist Fraser Crane, was sentenced to 30 days in county lockup for violating his probation multiple times in a 1988 DWI and possession of cocaine case. The bad news here isn't so much that he was sentenced, as he definitely had that coming, and it was probably best for him and for everyone for him to be locked up for a bit. The bad news is that we were beginning to see the tragic downward spiral of the life of an incredibly gifted Juilliard-trained actor as he worked through the traumas of his younger sister's murder 15 years earlier, his father's murder a few years before that when Grandma was barely 13, and the 1980 deaths of his two half-brothers while they were scuba diving off St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands where Grandma's from. One of the brothers suffered an embolism after surfacing too quickly. The other was never found and is presumed to have been eaten by sharks. The next three decades of Grammer's life were a turbulent string of engagements, marriages, divorces, pregnancies, miscarriages, and various drug and alcohol abuse convictions with trips back and forth to rehab clinics. His is a wild and painful story to read, and he's a much more complicated human being than I, as a peripheral fan of his work, would have ever assumed. Today, thankfully, he seems to have a handle on his drinking, and he's left cocaine completely in the past. But, since this isn't a show about today, we'll have an unfortunate amount more bad news from Grammar's life over the next few years. So, how about some good news? 30 years ago this week, on May 17, 1990, the World Health Organization, the arm of the United Nations responsible for international public health, officially removed homosexuality from its list of mental disorders and diseases. A move made almost 20 years earlier by the American Psychological Association, declaring same-sex attraction, feelings, and behaviors to be normal, positive expressions of human sexuality. While an unfortunate number of folks around the world still have yet to receive or believe that message, this was a major victory in the ongoing fight for human equity. And that, my friends, is good news. Now on to some other pop culture happenings from this week in 1990. The number one album in the country for the fourth of six consecutive weeks was, once again, Sinead O'Connor's I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got. But O'Connor lost the number one single spot on the Billboard Hot 100 chart after four weeks at the top of that list with Nothing Compares to You. The new number one single, which I'm sure we'll dive into over the course of the next couple weeks, was the massive hit from Madonna, Vogue. We also had a new number one song on the Hot R&B and Hip Hop chart with Johnny Gill's awkwardly titled but no less spectacular Rub You the Right Way. A song I still legitimately love to this day. And on the Hot Country chart with Clint Black's song Walkin' Away. Kid and Play were still holding strong for their third and final week at the top of the Hot Rap chart with Funhouse. And as I often do, I've posted links to the music videos for all of those songs in the show notes for this episode. In bigger rap news, though, on May 16, 1990, on the heels of his very public breakup with controversial West Coast rap ensemble N.W.A., founding member and chief lyricist Ice Cube released his much-anticipated and highly influential, multi-platinum-selling Bomb Squad-produced solo debut, America's Most Wanted. This record ruffled all the right feathers and impressed all the right critics in a way that catapulted Cube's career into the proverbial stratosphere of pop culture and landed him a permanent spot on the celebrity A-list. I had the distinct pleasure a couple years back of being one of maybe a hundred folks to see Cube perform live with fellow rap legend Bun B on a downtown Houston street corner in the middle of a hot summer afternoon before the season two opening of his three-on-three basketball league, The Big Three. And take it from me, friends, he has not lost a step. He's every bit as magnetic a performer as he ever was, and it was an absolute joy and privilege to watch him live from literally about 10 feet away. In Hollywood this week in 1990, the number one film at the box office, its very first weekend in theaters, was Goldie Hawn and Mel Gibson's Bird on a Wire. It happened one night.
1: And after 15 years... Rick, is that you? Yes, me, Rick. Let me in, will ya? Marianne Graves discovered an old flame... What the hell are you doing here?
0: Me? What oh. the hell are you doing here?
1: Being shot in the butt. ...had never died.
0: You get lost in your plane, you're reported missing, you're presumed dead. I attend your memorial service and I cry the tears of a grieving widow. No,
1: my until
0: mm. one day, I pull into a gas station you're alive with people chasing you and you asked me to look at your butt oh god it do i get to know what's going on or do i just get killed for old time's sake
1: he lived a life undercover since when did you start wearing underpants I thought you said your dad raised hogs in tennessee what name are you using rick Not you were a hairdresser <laughs> i just can't believe it Hi, Scotty. Uh-huh. I haven't had a girlfriend in five years. Really? Yeah, Mr. Wiggly's been on bread and water for five long years. <laughs> oh, my God! Oh, my God! Oh, my God!
0: What's eating you? Calm down just took a shower with a cockroach from hell Ah! 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 he's in there doing his hair right now
1: mel gibson goldie horn i think we lost him
0: where are we not there anymore
1: huh we're in the railway tunnel. where the hell are we
0: bird on a wire This movie made $15.3 million its opening weekend and went on to make nearly $140 million worldwide, despite an underwhelming response from critics. I have to assume that much of the film's theatrical success had to do with the fact that Mel Gibson was in the peak of the international sex symbol season of his career. Just as people were beginning to realize he's also a brilliant actor, but long before realizing he's problematic in a dozen other ways. It likely also had to do with the very odd ponytail-mullet hybrid he was sporting. Without which, Bird on a Wire may have lost out at the box office to the also newly released Robin Williams' dark comedy Cadillac Man.
1: Benz. and Benz. 300 uh, E. Benz. Joey O'Brien loves to sell cars. Mercedes oh. Benz. Mercedes Benz. Right now you're probably thinking, hey, this is not the car for me. Oh. Well, with the touch of one button max Headroom, i'm talking emotional support emotional can you afford that yeah i'm gonna make it happen huh this emotional thing you want and he loves my, my.
0: too many women yeah
1: you know when you want something you gotta go out there you gotta take it like a shark
0: Oh, well, that's how i should take you from underneath oh Why'd i ever leave you tina
1: you were asked to like,
0: do you remember why now <laughs> He has a little explaining to do.
1: Ah! I want to know how many times you did, that. And I want to know where, and I want to know how. Her, too? And my wife and his wife? How the hell you got time to make a living? Joey, what's he talking you Joey? Is this true? Oh, come on, Lisa. Lisa? I knew
0: you was doing a Lisa, Joey. No.
1: What's that make it for? How many girls you got? At well, Lisa's my daughter. You
0: got a daughter, Joey? You probably got a wife, too. No, 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 no wife.
1: wife? No wife, no. Ex, ex. He's a busy boy, you're Joey. You're very busy, boy. Hey. Madonna, Ly- Tina, uh, Chuck, Lyla, Lola, Lila, L-I-L-A, Lila. Lila, listen, there's an explanation for this. There really is. Oh. oh,
0: Robin Williams, Tim Robbins, you got a lot of girls. It's easy for you. <sighs> it ain't easy. Cadillac man. This was a bit of a disappointing role for Williams, coming off his recent cinematic triumphs in 1989's Dead Poet Society and 87's Good Morning Vietnam. But he had another brilliant performance just over the horizon in the way underrated film Awakenings, which we'll get to in January of next year. In television 30 years ago this week, we saw the finale of the ninth and final season of the beloved primetime soap opera Falcon Crest, starring actress Jane Wyman, the ex-wife of then-recent former U.S. President Ronald Reagan. It's likely, though, that very few really noticed or cared about that series finale, as most of the nation was too busy mourning the unexpected and tragic deaths of two of its most beloved stars a day earlier. 64-year-old vaudevillian crooner and Rat Pack member Sammy Davis Jr., and 53-year-old master puppeteer, actor, filmmaker, and innovator Jim Henson. Davis died after a brief but brutal fight with throat cancer, but his legacy was already long cemented in American pop culture history. Besides his success as an entertainer in every sense of the word, he was also a notable activist. He was famously snubbed by John F. Kennedy, whose presidential campaign he'd supported, for his marriage to white movie star Mae Britt. But later, in 1973, along with his next wife, became the first African-American ever invited to spend the night in the White House, then occupied by President Richard Nixon. Sammy Davis Jr.'s incredible life is chronicled beautifully in the book In Black and White by writer Will Haygood. But as I was just a 10-year-old kid at the time of his death, I wasn't nearly as aware of Sammy Davis Jr. as I was Muppets and Sesame Street creator Jim Henson. As I mentioned in the opening, I hopped on a call this week with 30 Pop regular, actor, filmmaker, and friend, Aaron Hale, to talk about Henson's life and legacy. Aaron, welcome to 30 Pop. Hey,
1: Luke. How's it going?
0: I'm good, man. Hey, there are angels among us. Yes? My mom told me to make sure that that was the first thing I said to you. (laughs) As soon as we start absolutely recording. Absolutely offended. So, I'm offended. She said for you to feel her like an angel on your shoulder <laughs> and that you can do this.
1: Okay. So, well, well, I'll try my best.
0: Okay. So, as you know, <laughs> we are looking back 30 years on the very tragic, unexpected death of the legend that is Jim Henson.
1: Yes, awful.
0: Tell me this. What is your earliest memory of something that Jim Henson produced and put into the world?
1: I mean, it would probably have to be Sesame Street. Okay. But for sure, um, I have a real strong memory of The Dark Crystal when I was little. Really, And watching it with my family, like just on like a Saturday, you know, and I was kind of scared. So I was like off to the side of the TV, you know, just kind of watching it out of the corner of my eye. Classic. And I remember thinking... Is this something I'm allowed to see? Because <laughs> <laughs> it was just scary enough that you felt like you were doing something you weren't supposed to. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. We've talked about, I mean, I had this similar feeling watching the large Marge scene in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Where oh, I'm like, I absolutely. can't believe you let me see this horrifying thing. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I never actually saw The Dark Crystal. Yeah. I grew up on Labyrinth, but I'm actually still to this day, and I always kind of intend to watch it, but I still haven't seen Dark Crystal.
1: The Dark Crystal never stuck with me like Labyrinth did, for sure. We watched that all the time as as a kid.
0: Yeah, that was a regular rental in my household. So Sesame Street, you you were a Sesame Street kid then?
1: Yes, I I carried around a uh, Super Grover with me everywhere I went. Nice. I was very much in love with Sesame Street and all the Muppets.
0: Super super grover, grover man that favorite. is yeah that's a great favorite to have what was your favorite henson character was that your favorite like of across all that he did
1: yeah i would think grover probably was my favorite i mean i liked all the muppets too i mean
0: right well that's why i asked because i mean like that's yeah, hard to choose I,
1: you kind of have to like separate them like grover for sure i loved burton ernie too but grover was my favorite and then of the muppets I kind of moved around on the Muppets because Gonzo was like my first favorite. Then Fozzie. I don't know. I just kind of, I like each one for different reasons. They were all pretty perfect for what they were. Yeah, they really were. Every I've been, one of his characters.
0: I've been rewatching some of the old Muppets movies. Like I was rewatching the original Muppets movie uh-huh. and one, I just love, it's kind of a sweet humor, you know, like it's punny. It's like yeah. total dad humor, but then you get the occasional like kind yeah. of adult joke in there. And I just, I love it, man. It's, it's so good. But I had, I had the same thing of like Fozzie Bear in particular. And I'm like, what an odd yeah. character. He's got this sort of ambiguous accent. It's like <laughs> you almost don't even notice it 90% of the time. And then there'll be certain words he says yeah. like, where is he supposed to be from? But then <laughs> yeah, also like, Like, what does waka 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 mean exactly? (laughs) You know?
1: Yeah. You think about how much creativity went into each character and how they all had their own quirks and they were perfect the way they were, each one. I love that. And they're also creatively, like, bizarre in the way that a puppet character should be,
0: you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the things that they're able to do as puppeteers with facial expressions, which can't change with a puppet, really. But, like, yeah, I've been so impressed watching, even, like, the series they did a few years ago. Uh-huh. Their sort of ability to use facial expressions. Oh, yeah. Especially, like, remarkable. Kermit and
1: Miss Piggy always had that thing where their, their noses would go in. Mm-hmm. And one thing I re- always loved about Kermit, which was Jim Henson early on, oh, yeah. was when he would do the swallow, like, the hard swallow. Yes. You know what I mean? And his yeah. mouth would move with it. It was so perfect. And then with the scream and the way the arms went up in the air, like, yes. Aah! You know, oh my God, it's just so good and, and iconic. You could do that as a human being and people would know what you're <gasps> copying.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about Kermit for a second, because I think Kermit, yeah. of all the characters in the entire sort of Jim Henson universe, he is like the ultimate nice guy. He is yeah. the Henson equivalent of Mickey Mouse in my mind.
1: Absolutely. And I've always like also thought he was probably the most Jim Henson. Of all of them, you know, I what agree. I mean? Like he had to have been probably definitely Jim Henson's favorite, right? And he had yeah. to like kind of be his personality as, as a mother. Yeah, you're right. He's the most likable character across the board. Like he's the best. I love Kermit.
0: Let's talk least favorite character. Do you have Miss Piggy? Okay, th- we are on exactly the same page. She is so obnoxious.
1: Yeah, she really does get on my nerves a lot. I and like I don't say that too often. <laughs> I don't talk about the Muppets that (laughs) often. But I don't tell a lot of people. But yeah, I think Miss Piggy may be my least favorite of all. Yeah.
0: What's funny is I think she's necessary for the universe. But it's like the one negative thing I can say about Kermit is he has terrible taste in women.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and I do think she's necessary. I think she's perfect as the character. She's just not my favorite.
0: Yeah, so obnoxious.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say... You know how many cameos are in in each of the Muppets movies, mm-hmm. which I don't, I don't know which one is your favorite Muppet movie.
0: You should know that. It's Muppet Christmas Carol. Come on.
1: Yeah, good point. Well, I you know, and that's probably mine, too. But what I was going to say is like how many amazing cameos they got in each of the movies and how seriously each actor, an actress or whoever, you know, musician, whoever they got in there took the role, especially michael cain in muppet christmas carol Oh, for sure yeah i think a muppet christmas carol is probably the best version of that story (laughs) he is at least
0: the best scrooge i don't know if it's my favorite version of that story just because i really really love jim carrey's version of it but he is by far the best scrooge now let me ask you this then who was your favorite cameo do you have a favorite cameo across the muppet movies Oh, man. I'll go ahead and tell you mine while you think about it because we didn't talk about yeah. this question. It's Steve Martin in the original Muppets movie.
1: Okay. I guess I don't know. Really, okay. So, he really plays
0: mind. a waiter in a restaurant and he's just like so sort of condescendingly polite to yeah. Kermit and Miss Piggy and it's- like it's an amazing cameo. From Steve it. Martin. It's yeah. been
1: a long time since I saw that one. I don't know if I'd call this a cameo, but this is the first one that pops into my head. Cause it's probably the most recent one I saw was, uh, the Muppets, the one with, uh, Jason Siegel. I wouldn't call it a cameo, but Chris Cooper is so good in that one. Is the villain. Do you remember? him? I've
0: seen it, but I cannot remember.
1: He, I know he sang a song and he was, he was just really, really good. That's the one that pops into my head right now, but it's not that he was an actual character. So I wouldn't, even call that a cameo, I guess. But I mean, most of the cameos I I really like, and they're always like, I don't know. I think everybody I, that would be so much fun to be in a Muppet movie. Yeah. Oh my God, I would kill for that. Movie.
0: So Jim Henson, thirty years since he passed so unexpectedly. He was only fifty three years old. Which one of yeah. the things that that really jumped out at me as particularly shocking when I read that is not just that he was fifty three years old, but that a person who was fifty three years old in nineteen ninety was born in the 1930s <laughs> like, that just sounds incredible yeah i think he was like the same age
1: as my grandma That's like wild. the same they were born the same year tell me this you've
0: <laughs> got two younger boys yes what do your kids think of jim henson and jim henson oh, movies
1: they know who jim henson is and they love the muppets both of my kids dressed up as Fozzie bear once when they were little <laughs> we had we actually handmade a Fozzie bear costume that was epic We'll have to put it in the show notes or something. And they, yeah, they love. I think Golden's favorite is Kermit, probably, for sure. Golden is like, he likes Mickey Mouse, you know, the best. Yeah, he yeah, likes, yeah, yeah. He's kind of like the, I don't know, the leader of the pack kind of guy. Yeah. And then Arthur, for sure, is probably Fozzie or Gonzo. He likes the silly, crazy person. But they, yeah, they love it. Neither of them really watched Sesame Street because we didn't really. I mean, they did a little bit, but I don't know. They, they always like the Muppets.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I lean more towards the Muppets myself also. I mean, it's because yeah, Muppets yeah. are still really funny as an adult. Although I will say watching back the original movie, there's a scene where Kermit and he's sort of, you know, he's, he's moving from the swamp, you know, headed to Hollywood to make a career in Hollywood and along the way, he's picking up different Muppets. Yeah.
1: And I, and I think Jim Henson was like, he's from Mississippi or something. And so like. It was probably like him, him moving to Hollywood. To
0: start yeah, mo- start probably you know, true. I, I feel
1: like it's probably... Sorry, go ahead. Well,
0: just that one of the things that happens on the way is they pass Big Bird hitchhiking and Big Bird uh, yeah. is moving to New York to try to break into public <laughs> access television. And so I thought, well, that's actually pretty great humor there for that is really you know, good. a Sesame Street character. But I love that. That being said, I mean, I did like Sesame Street as a kid too. I mean, I loved, you know... Cookie Monster was hilarious to me. The the count was great. Obviously everybody loved Oscar the Grouch as a kid. I mean he was just so funny. So good. But man, such a loss. Thirty years ago today. Jim Henson. (laughs) That's wild.
1: And we still have them as a part of like major part of our culture to this day, thirty years after the death of the guy who created it. It's crazy. It's amazing.
0: That is crazy. Amazing
1: legacy. Hey hey, side note, he had the same manager, Jim Henson had the same manager as Alan Bell
0: Who we will have on the show next week. Yeah. If folks don't know who that is, he's one of the original writers for Saturday Night Live. And this is a total aside, but Aaron and I are going to interview him for next week's episode.
1: Could not be more excited about this week. Anyway.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. Well, Aaron, thanks as always for being on. I look forward to having you on again next week.
1: Yeah. Can't wait, dude. All
0: right, man. We'll see you then. See ya. Tremendous thanks, as always, to Aaron for being on this and so many episodes of 30 Pop. As we mentioned, he'll be back on next week to help me interview very special guest, legendary TV writer Alan Zweibel. Looking back on the series finale of The Gary Shandling Show, his time as one of the original writers for Saturday Night Live, and his recently released memoir, Laugh Lines. You do not want to miss next week's episode. Thank you, though, friends, for listening to this week's episode. If you love this show as I do and want to partner with me in making it and every Mill Media Group podcast possible, join me at the Patreon link in the show notes. In exchange for your patronage, I'll commit to starting one really complimentary rumor about you on the next episode. Like, for example, did you know that my most recent Patreon supporter, Sean McCoy, was originally offered the role of Mikey in the Goonies? but pointed casting directors instead to Sean Astin after being moved by his debut performance in the 1981 made-for-TV movie Please Don't Hit Me, Mom. It's true, or it's not, but either way, it makes for good gossip, and I'll gladly do the same for you if you join me on Patreon. That's all I've got for this week, friends. Until next week, I leave you with this wisdom from Madonna. Beauty's where you find it, not just where you bump and grind it. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Brauner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1990 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com.